0: everybody here at at&t stadium in arlington texas i'm joined today on the Cyclone scoop by 24 7 sports college football writer chris hummer and uh chris we're in this fancy swanky uh area of at&t stadium i don't know if we could really afford to be under here um you know if we wanted to buy tickets but we're down in here and uh thanks for being with me here at big 12 media days i wanted to. Go through kind of the order of the Big 12, you know, what it's looking like in the preseason and also maybe some early thoughts here from Big 12 Media Day.
1: That sounds good. I don't think Jerry Jones would let me down here. I do not look quite wealthy enough. It's definitely a six figures kind of place. I've got a freaking bar down here with a view of the field and uh, I feel very special right now. So it's kind of good to be at Big 12 Media Days.
0: Yeah, you've been here before at AT AT&T Stadium, you know, covering the Big 12 title game and stuff, but... My first time here, and uh, Iowa State fans are hoping I'm back here <laughs> <laughs> come December. But uh, they, might,
1: they have some hopes, man. They have some hopes.
0: Yeah, for sure. Well, let's jump in and uh – we're talking here on day one of Big 12 Media Days, so rather than you know, go through what coaches have said, because we've only heard from half of the league's coaches, let's just um, talk about what Big 12 Commissioner Bob Bowlsby had to say today. Um, there was no really bombshell. It's not like he came out and said, hey, we're expanding. In fact, he said there's been no discussions and there's no plan to have any discussions about expansion, but was there anything that he did talk about that maybe stood out to you or um, that he did say that fans might be interested in?
1: Well, I found the most interesting thing that I thought he said was kind of the Big 12 essentially going over to ESPN and taking the ESPN Plus route for the network. And that's just good you're going to have eight teams on that network, not Texas, not Oklahoma, because they'll both keep their third tier rights largely. And it's, it's an interesting direction the Big 12 is headed in in terms of streaming. And I think college football as a whole is going to experience a lot of change in that regard in the next five or six years. Uh, You mentioned no expansion. If realignment's ever going to happen, it's going to happen in four or five years when the bigger TV contracts come up. And I think the next frontier of college football and the way it's presented is a little bit what Bob talked about today. Uh, streaming rights. I think you're going to see places like Amazon and Facebook try to jump in with live rights. And I think, te- I think the Big 12, as much as it can be considering Longhorn Network and Oklahoma have their own rights as a th- being a thing, they kind of got out ahead of that. So I thought, I thought that was pretty compelling stuff.
0: Yeah, the streaming thing I think actually probably makes sense because. The Big Ten network we've seen have success. I think the SEC network, because of the footprint of schools yeah. like Alabama, is obviously taken off. But the Pac-12 network, by all accounts, is not done well and I think is maybe losing money. I don't have all the facts in the front pa- of me.
1: The Pac-12, I wouldn't call it a disaster, but it certainly hasn't been a positive project for the Pac-12. It It doesn't really make much money, if at all, and there's just not enough interest on the West Coast. And I think what you're seeing is a lot of – The college football is really market-based. Like, you have larger markets and you have smaller markets and you have passionate fan bases and not-so-passionate fan bases. And I don't know if schools outside of kind of the footprint of the Southeast and maybe the Big Ten where you have larger markets, like New York, where these people are drawing from, if they can kind of hold their own in a a network. Yeah, so
0: I do think the streaming makes sense for the Big 12. But like you said, the biggest thing is that he didn't mention this, but he did, in a follow-up question, eight of the ten teams. You know, you have the sooners sooners sports which is a deal with Fox and I think Bob Bolsby said goes at least four more years so they're going to keep their third tier rights the Longhorn network goes beyond that so they're going to keep their rights so if if say Texas comes to Iowa State in volleyball that third tier game would be on ESPN plus and in Ames but if they go to Texas Iowa State fans who have you know Big 12 now and ESPN Plus aren't going to get to watch that game because Texas is going to keep those rights for the Longhorn Network. So it's still a little bit muddy, but like Bob Bowlesby said, this sets the path for what the future is, which like you said, is probably streaming.
1: Yeah, if you can get around the Bevo in the room, as I would call it, uh, I think it kind of shows you what the future of college athletic kind of con- consumption is going to be. So I thought I thought the Big 12 moves in that direction early, it was a smart move because I think eventually that's what you're going to see a lot of conferences do,
0: and no surprise, he didn't have an answer really on expansion. I think the talk has always been Arizona, Arizona State. Does Colorado want to come back? But that's Houston,
1: Watson, SMU yeah. wouldn't mind jumping in. I know that for a fact. And,
0: and that stuff still a ways out. That might actually go hand in hand with some of the streaming down the road with you know 2024 and 2025 when some of those deals go up. But that's so far out that Bob Bosby said they've had no discussions, and he was not really interested in answering, other than joking that this is the seventh straight year that the press conference question and answer portion has been about expansion. But the one other talking point from Bob Bowles and it kind of led into the rest of yeah. Big 12 media days is the new coaches in the league, four new coaches in the Big 12 this year. And as Bob Bullsby pointed out, those coaches are picked 7th, 8th, ninth, and 10th. Yeah, not,
1: know, a, not a lot of love from Bob for his no. new guys out yeah.
0: there. He, he tried to sing the praises of, you know, what they've done before here, but basically said, you know, the schools that have new coaches are at the bottom of the league and uh, it's crazy. You know, people listen to this, uh, Iowa state fans, Matt Campbell's now the third longest tenured coach in the big 12 behind only, uh, Gary Patterson and Mike Gundy. Gundy. So that's pretty crazy in and of itself. Um, but that kind of segues us into the other thing I want to talk about. And, um, you know, that is the big 12 order of finish. I know you did a ballot slash big 12 preview, obviously the, um, The Big 12 media preseason poll came out in advance of Big 12 media days here in Arlington, Texas, and uh, when you look at the official results from the media, it basically broke down into three tiers. You know, people kind of looking at this league in three tiers. Uh, Oklahoma, Texas, and Iowa State were clearly kind of the top three, with Oklahoma and Texas being clear kind of top two, but the separation between Iowa State and number four was still quite a few points. Then you have the next tier of TCU, Oklahoma State, and Baylor, and I think everyone thinks like, hey, if they can answer a question, they will compete. You know, to be right up there with, say, number three, and then you have those that final tier of the four new coaches who all face questions. So, is that kind of how you see it too? When you broke down your order of finishes, this kind of breaking into tiers, and maybe not counting Kansas, might be in a fourth tier as Les Miles has to kind of still turn that roster around.
1: Yeah, Kansas might be in that group of five tier uh, <laughs> early on. Um But yeah, a little bit. I I would actually say there are three tiers, and I don't. I think. You're right, Iowa State kind of straddles the top tier and kind of the middle tier. Yeah,
0: they're kind of between the th- three, or, or are they with the pack of Baylor, Oklahoma State, TCU?
1: I don't actually think that's a bad pack to be in. I I've, I think I made a preseason top 25 list, and I think all of those teams except Baylor were preseason top 25 teams, and I Baylor's a team that could easily start 5-1 and or 6-0, and so they could be a top 25 team as the season goes along. And while I think all of them do have questions, I think all of them have – some advantages that maybe they lacked last year. Uh, Iowa State obviously has some questions at receiver and running back that uh, need to be answered, but they've got one of the best young quarterbacks in college football, and a defense that has pretty consistently confounded or at least slowed down Big Twelve offenses. And Matt Campbell's as good of a young coach as there is out there, and I fully expect them to be right in the mix again. But I actually I had Oklahoma State ahead of Iowa State in my preseason poll, and I'm really big on the Cowboys this year. I think the addition of Spencer Sanders, I know Mike Gundy hasn't exactly announced Spencer as the um, quarterback, is going to be huge. Uh, They brought in Sean Gleason from Princeton, who is um, one of the brightest young minds in college football. He's also kind of going to return Oklahoma State to what you saw maybe earlier in the decade with J.W. Walsh, a little more running based. And that fits really well into what Spencer Sanders does. And that defense in the second year under Jim Knowles, I fully expect to be significantly better. And they don't like for star power either. They got a like Tylen Wallace outside, and uh, Chuba Hubbard. I believe that's how you pronounce his name. Chuba yeah. is like a great, Chubba or
0: Chuba. I think it's Chuba.
1: I really prefer Chuba. I hope yeah. he keeps it that Chubba way. Chuba Purdy. Yeah. People
0: listening to this are familiar with Chuba Purdy, Brock's brother.
1: Yeah, exactly. Like Chuba's a good name. Like I hope it's that way. But he's an explosive back. I actually think he might end up being a little bit better than what Oklahoma State trotted out last year. Uh, I know they had an all-conference running back, but he didn't necessarily always hit the holes like Oklahoma State would have liked and went for the home run. But um, I'm rambling, but I really like Oklahoma State. And TCU and Baylor, I think, are two schools, if you answer one question, can really make a jump. TCU's quarterback. And TCU, I believe, is trotting out five different quarterbacks this fall to kind of determine who's going to win that battle. I expect it to be Kansas State transfer Alex Delton. Uh, Matthew Baldwin, who came in from Ohio State, had surgery a couple weeks ago that he has to clean up a little bit, so he's not going to be ready for fall camp. Justin Rogers, uh, the highest ranked recruit in TCU history, at least in the Gary Patterson era, hasn't really ever recovered from a drop foot condition that uh, kind of came with a knee surgery he had in high school, which I believe leaves the Kansas State transfer as their starter, and TCU is everything you want in a contender. I think this could be a really surprising year for Gary Patterson, at least nationally. That defense is perhaps outside of linebacker where there's a couple questions as good as he's had in a while. And the skill talent for TCU is up there with anybody in the country, and they've got a pretty good offensive line as well. And I think when you kind of put those factors together in Gary Patterson's history, they produce good things. And then Baylor, I think Baylor's just a school on the rise. Matt Rule's as good of a coach as there is in the country, in my opinion. There's a reason why the NFL has <laughs> knocked at his door and Matt Campbell's door the last two offseasons. And they are recruiting in a really unique way in the Big Twelve. I did a story on kind of the recruiting angles Baylor takes in terms of analytics and they have put together in pretty short order one of the most athletic rosters in the country, and I think what you're going to see is a pretty experienced Baylor team. Surprised a lot of people this year. So I actually think it's a super strong middle tier, and I think it's the strongest middle tier the Big 12's had in a really long time.
0: Yeah, I think that middle tier is what makes it so intriguing. I think everyone expects, and at least you have to give them the benefit of the doubt, that it's going to be Oklahoma, Texas fighting at the top. But between Iowa State, Oklahoma State, TCU, and Baylor, I think people could make cases for any of those being like, say, 3-4 and, and right there. And Iowa State, I think, probably in this media poll gets the benefit of the doubt and is kind of clearly the number three team yeah, points-wise. They, they've Be- done it before, yeah. Because they've done it the last couple of years in terms of winning eight games. Uh, I think it gives Matt Campbell a lot of respect, and you bring back pretty much the entire defense. They return every start on their defensive line, and they return 102 of 104 starts on their offensive line, two key areas. I think they're maybe the most experienced team, according to Phil Steele, in the Big 12. Um, So I think that's probably one of the reasons that they're maybe picked third in terms of the overall media preseason polls because experience, I think a lot of people kind of give that the benefit of the doubt. And then, like you said, the big question with that tier in the middle is, can each team answer their question? With Iowa State, to me, like you said, it's can they fill the hole at running back and receiver? And running back is probably going to be more than just running back. It's like, can they combine and take a step as an offensive line? And then you kind of already mentioned the questions with the other team. With TCU, it's kind of quarterback. Oklahoma State probably is their defense better, you know. And then Baylor, um, I don't know. Would you say offensive line because they got an offensive line slash defense because their Brewers is one of the top three I quarterbacks in the league. I think
1: it's both offensive line and defensive line. Don't get me wrong; their defensive line has some really players. Like James Lynch is one of the best young defensive tackles. Yeah, preseason all Big Twelve. Yeah, he's very good. But they, they had when they kind of came in there, they were lacking a lot of stuff in the trenches because of everything that came with that job. And that's the hardest place to kind of fill out a roster. And I think if Baylor is good, especially along the offensive front, they could be really, really dangerous this year. I think I would I wouldn't necessarily call that a contending tier that we're talking about, but like I feel like that tier could easily make it a 10-2 and two team winning the Big 12 in the regular season just because there are so many kind of pitfalls in the Big 12 for the top two contenders.
0: That's going to be a big game for Iowa State. They play them to open Big 12 play their fourth game. Um, someone asked me recently, Iowa State's toughest road game, and uh, outside of Oklahoma, because that's always going to be the toughest. But Baylor would be it because uh, they have to go on the road to Baylor. It's going to be still early in the season, like you said. Baylor could start off well in non-conference. Um, Charlie I, Brewer's good,
1: and I think I think Iowa State is Baylor's one hurdle of th- starting six and zero, like realistically. Mm-hmm. So,
0: so it's going to be interesting in that regard as well. Um, With that bottom tier, quote-unquote bottom tier, I mean, this is all preseason. We've seen (laughs) Iowa State's been picked seventh last year and tied for third. I mean, Iowa State's proven why the preseason poll isn't always the end-all, be-all. I mean, they've proven that the last couple years under Campbell where they've been picked ninth and finished, I think, tied for fourth, and then picked seventh and finished tied for third. And this would be the year they hope to finish at least where they're picked because this year they're picked up – yeah, I, the think, highest ever. I think
1: last year with Iowa State, it was a little bit of fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. Like, the media wasn't paying attention. And so they now they're like, Iowa okay, State we lot. better
0: just vote him up there. Um, but with that, say, like I said, quote-unquote bottom tier, Texas Tech to me is a clear top team out of that just because of the fact that Cliff Kingsbury starts 5-2 and two last year, then they go 0-5, and, and that's what really gets him fired. If he wins a couple games, maybe he still gets tried to take away by the NFL, but he doesn't get fired. And they bring back Alan Bowman. If he's healthy, he's obviously a difference maker. They have some good running backs, good skill at wide receiver. Their defense, I mean, is always like it's improved, but that's kind of always their big question maybe. But to me, I think Matt Wells, out of those four new coaches and out of those four teams that were voted seventh through ninth, is probably the team that could inch up into that middle tier, probably with the best chance. I mean, do you think that's the case as well? And do you think they will do that? Or do you think they'll kind of finish where projected?
1: Yeah, I had I have Texas Tech as a bowl team this year. I think they can get three wins in conference play. Uh, I think Matt Wells inherits quite a bit. Like I think people just kind of saw the end of Cliff Kingsbury's era and just kind of assumed that Texas Tech was losing a lot. But Texas Tech brings out a lot of talent, and the most important thing is a quarterback. And Texas Tech has that quarterback and Alan Bowman that you mentioned that could really carry things. And I think it's it's going to come down to the defense. But Matt Wells has had a history of producing some decent defenses, and we saw at Utah State, uh, he can kind of inherit a program that's historically struggled and fix it in short order. Uh, He was there for six seasons. Iowa State has six seasons of nine wins or better in their history, it's like 105 years, and Matt Wells owns three of them. So like Matt Wells, I know he struggled a couple times uh, at Utah State, but he has proven in his career that he can quickly kind of take a program and turn things around, and I think and there's a lot of flashy names thrown out there this summer, but I actually think TC or Texas Tech made a pretty strong hire on Matt Wells. And I think he's the type of guy who can kind of, I don't want to say reverse course away from like the air raid tree. That's kind of dominated Texas Tech for the last 10 years. So I know Tommy Tuberville didn't exactly go well, but he is the guy who can kind of uh, find that middle ground and really kind of elevate Texas Tech. So I, I would expect them to be a bowl team or at least a fringe bowl team at worst.
0: Yeah, they, they're for sure. And we'll get to this in a minute with big 12 over under win totals, but they for sure seem like the team that could surprise people, and I don't know if they'll move into that middle tier or not. But I think I would probably project them to be a bold team as well, which would give give the Big 12 maybe seven bowl teams if that's the case. So um, they're kind of interesting, and we don't have to go through the, the other three. But West Virginia, West Virginia just loses so much. You lose Will Greer, David Sills, you lose Yadi Kujus on your offensive line. Um, what David Long at linebacker, Kenny Robinson all Big 12 second like team last year transfers. I think they've had like 10 plus transfers. That's their biggest thing is it's just, I think Neil Brown's a good coach and I think so far he's even recruited well, but it's, you can't, they have a new new quarterback and then you lose like 10 plus guys to transfer. It's just their depth has kind of been killed a little bit and all that. And then you look at Kansas and I don't even know they still at, even at 85 scholarships yet, they're still trying to work towards not, that.
1: Not even close.
0: So Kansas State even to me would maybe be, so I voted Kansas State ninth, but then after the poll came out and I started thinking about it more, I was like maybe – and that's where they were voted by the media. But West Virginia has more questions than Kansas State, even though – just because Kansas State brings back Skylar Thompson and they're always kind of like good grounded out team. and Chris Kleiman fits exactly what they did before, so I Yeah, don't know.
1: Kansas State brings – I think Kansas State brings back like 15 or 16 starters. Like if Thompson can kind of elevate his game a little bit, it was pretty shaky last year. I think Kansas State could break into that middle tier as well. But I, I think – I think with Kleiman coming in and kind of the reshaping of that program that will be needed, I think that's going to be a bit longer of a rebuild and it won't be as immediate as maybe like uh, Matt Wells has a chance to do at Texas Tech.
0: Before we end by getting into over-unders and kind of going through the teams, uh, we didn't talk about the top two teams really there, Oklahoma and Texas. And I think that's because, we talk about Texas and yeah. Oklahoma a lot anyway. And everybody kind of presumes those two will play for the, you know, I think nationally at least, you know, Different areas of the country, or different areas uh, of Big 12 country, might disagree on that. But most people now, you're saying Oklahoma, Texas meet, you know, in December at AT&T Stadium for the Big 12 title. What has to go wrong, or what has to go right for another team, maybe from that middle tier, to be the second team in the Big 12 title game? To so whether it's Oklahoma or Texas that doesn't make it, and I think I don't know if you feel which one's more like most likely to for sure make it.
1: I think Oklahoma is for sure most that's, likely yeah, to that's make I it. Think I think they've got that offense was historically good last year. There's I know Lincoln Riley said earlier he doesn't expect a drop. But like they averaged more yards per play than any team in history a season ago. It's unreasonable to expect them to stay that good. But I don't think it's going to be much of a drop. We've kind of seen that. And I think that Oklahoma team has a really high ceiling because they returns ten starters on defense and it's gonna be much it's gonna be really difficult to be as bad as they were on exactly. the defense last year. And I just think that elevates Oklahoma's ceiling in a way that Texas doesn't necessarily share. I, I, I live in Austin, like I think this Texas team has a super bright future under Tom Herman. But the reality is they lose a ton of starters and a ton of experience. And
0: a lot of us in the trenches. Yeah, right.
1: Like the offensive line is not completely reset. You had a guy like Samuel Cosme last year who's I think it was a preseason all big 12 selection or I at least voted him as a preseason all big 12 selection and he's a really quality body but they lost bodies in the trenches they're super super thin at linebacker like if you have one or two injuries in the middle of the defense you're gonna have BJ Foster who's a safety playing linebacker again essentially and I just think as talented as Texas is there's so much youth and so many of their big games are early you play LSU Oklahoma Oklahoma State within the first six weeks that if a team's going to get caught, it's going to be Texas, just because you're leaning on so much experience. And also, like, I know this won't get mentioned a lot, but Sam Ellinger runs a ton. He ran the ball 165 times last year, which for people listening at home is more than like DeAndre Swift at Georgia had. DeAndre Swift's like a preseason Heisman contender. And if he gets hurt, which has happened his first two seasons, Texas doesn't really have anybody behind him now that Shane Buchel has transferred out of there. And I think, I think that's something to follow as well, because It's pretty. It's not thin behind Sam. They have a guy named Casey Thompson who's a redshirt freshman. But like, there are many more questions about Texas than there are about Oklahoma at this point.
0: Yeah, we we've talked um, about how Iowa State's biggest question is maybe receiver and running back, but it's kind of the same thing for them. Their depth behind Brock Purdy is so thin that a lot of their hopes to be that number three team are going to ride on Brock Purdy's health. He's got to stay healthy because if he doesn't, then it becomes a team that's got to win strictly probably with defense and really doing what Matt Campbell's done, I guess, before with Kyle Kemp. And he's proven he can win with different quarterbacks. But Brock Purdy's the key to them trying to be an 8-9 win team or whatever. They're, they obviously probably have higher expectations. Barton Simmons – our colleague at 24-7 sports went through his picks, and he has Iowa State starting 8-0 going into, Whoa, a, a, into a two-week stretch of Whoa. a two week stretch of Oklahoma and Texas. So the hype is already kind of up there. He really, I think, got it going. Iowa State fans have been discussing his picks. They like his picks, but I think they're also a little Low bit nervous. <laughs> <laughs> they're a little bit nervous, too, because in recent memory, there hasn't been this kind of hype, and that Campbells thinks it's kind of funny because it gets a little cliche, but his saying when he got to Iowa State was raise the standard. You know, it's kind of his motto. This year, their standard is prove it, and it kind of is fit. Like they've raised the standard to the point where people are thinking they can win eight, nine games, be third in the Big Twelve. But now they have to go out and actually um, prove it, and we'll see if that happens. It's, um, a,
1: it's a, definitely a little bit. It's a little bit different being the hunted as opposed to the hunter. I know that's cliche as hell, but I think most college football coaches will tell you dealing with expectations is one of the most difficult things teams can do. as they transition from. Not necessarily a bottom feeder, but from a team that's not used to contending to a team that wants to contend. Somebody,
0: it's... I think even Lincoln Riley threw it out today. You know, everyone's saying Oklahoma's going to win it. They've been saying it for whatever, but that that's actually dangerous too because your team can come be complacent and think that they should just win it, and that, that's a dangerous spot to be in sometimes too. It's, it's even like Nick Saban at Alabama, and he he likes to talk about the. What is this? Rat poison yeah. and all that. Well, complacency. But it's complacency, hard. Complacency,
1: yeah. It topples dynasties. Like, I think we've seen numerous examples in sports of, like, from anything. Like, the Golden State Warriors is a good example. I don't know if it's necessarily complacency, but a team that got so used to winning and winning causes friction from time to time and eventually things fall apart. And, like, the best teams everywhere have to deal with that. So I think that's why you've seen Davos, Swinney, and Nick Saban be so successful. They f- find a way to kind of get around that complacency. And I know I'm off subject, but no, that's fine. Yeah,
0: and it's and it's different when if Iowa State is a twenty top twenty five team at any point in the season, and you're going to Baylor or you're going to Texas Tech and West Virginia, they want to beat that top twenty five team. And it just it's different. And it's like you said, it kind of gets cliche, but mindset wise, both fan bases and players on a team playing a top twenty five team, it's just maybe in, at the end, like one team should just be better, but in with so many different things going on and these kids going around campus and being, hearing all the buzz, it just, it, it feels a little bit different, at, especially at the college level.
1: Yeah. And I think honestly, this is going to sound like a really weird metaphor, but listen to me. Like it's like when you're at the Y playing basketball and you're running the court, you're the best player out there. And then you start to like think, Oh, I don't have to treat this kid. Like don't have to guard this kid as much. Cause it's kind of trash. I've seen him play before. <laughs> and then he just goes out there and takes your lunch money. And like, it's a thing like that. Like it only takes a couple seconds on a bad weekend for a team to kind of lose their spot. And could happen to anybody.
0: Yeah, and Iowa State's had some big upsets the last few years, and this year they hope that uh, they're the team fending off those underdogs. But let's finish by going over some over unders in the Big 12. Um, they've really come out across the league. You can look at FanDuel and Bovada and whatever. We'll just stick with Caesars Entertainment. I looked at a lot of them, and pretty much they're all um, they're all pretty much similar. They all pretty much agree on over unders, which I think they're so. G- The odds makers in Las Vegas are so good at setting these that they –
1: I wouldn't mess with Vegas. (laughs) Yeah, that they
0: know. But uh, we'll just go down in order then. Um, And this is also kind of broken down into the same tiers we just talked about. Uh, Oklahoma over under 10 wins. Texas over under 9 wins. Those are kind of the clear top two. Um, What do you think about those two in terms of over under?
1: I would go over for Oklahoma. I think they've been that way. For the last four or five years, and there's I don't think there's anything to indicate that anybody in their non-conference schedule is going to catch them, which means they would have to lose. They would have to lose twice in the Big Twelve, which hasn't happened in four years. Yeah. So I I don't I don't see Oklahoma going under. Texas I think is a little tougher that just hinges on essentially like two games. If Texas loses both LSU and Oklahoma, I think it's pretty clear under but or a pu- they, under a push yeah, yeah. i think i think if texas is just about those schools they could easily get beat by any of the middle tier that we talked about so nine's kind of tough i would say push but it's hard i'm not looking at the schedule right now but off the top of my head i would say push for texas actually i wouldn't go over or under i would say i would have them right at nine at the end of the regular season
0: yeah i don't want to put you on the spot too much with these but it's just a kind of uh big 12 media days and here near the end of summer discussion uh Iowa State then is um eight wins over under and that kind of is still that top tier because then you look at the middle tier and TCU's over under seven and a half Baylor over under seven and a half Oklahoma State over under seven and so basically that's kind of that middle tier that we just talked about Vegas pretty much agrees with you know those tiers that we talked about um Iowa State over under eight is really an interesting one I've been asked it on different radio stuff like hey this the over-unders at eight, what would you go? I would probably kind of hedge a little bit and just say push. <laughs> See, <laughs> I've just been kind of saying push. It. Pushing <laughs> always makes the most sense <laughs> with
1: Vegas over-unders. Well, they know what they're talking about. They're trying to
0: – When they do the half, the halves, you have to go one way. But when they're giving me the option at eight, it's just easy to say push for them. And But then TCU and Baylor, you can't do that because they're at seven and a half. You kind of got to pick which way you want to go with them.
1: TCU I would go over. I feel pretty strong about TCU kind of contending this season, or at least – being in that mix as long as they find a quarterback. Now, if Alex Delton ends up being the guy and Alex Delton is as bad as he was at times last year for Kansas State, I'm going to go ahead and change my pick to the under. But considering what they bring back around them, I would go over for TCU. And then Baylor at
0: 7.5, that is is that is really tough. That is tough because, like you said, their season could propel them early with the non-conference schedule and Iowa State's their toughest game probably in the first half of the schedule and they get them at home. Uh, that's kind of the big thing with them is can they ride that you know, it's kind of same. Same with we haven't got there yet, but Oklahoma or we did Oklahoma State over under seven. They should start three and zero for sure in non conference. Looking at their non conference, and then it's kind of a question of can they win four Big Twelve games to get to the push and then beyond that. And you you probably for sure picked the over under on uh, the over on the seven for Oklahoma State based on you think that they're maybe third.
1: Perhaps I'm like a little overly ambitious in Oklahoma State, but Mike Gundy's history, like I, he's never the last like. I think it's the last eight seasons. He's never had back to back seasons without a ten win season. And Oklahoma State brings back a lot of skill talent. They bring back a lot of depth in the trenches. And I think I know Mike Gundy didn't name a quarterback today, but I think Spencer Sanders is a guy who can really elevate the ceiling of that offense. And I'm just I'm big on Oklahoma State this year. I think that team should have been much better than it was a season ago, considering some of the games they lost. And I, I definitely would have the over
0: on Oklahoma State. Oklahoma State and TCU are two of the most interesting in terms of Patterson and Gundy you don't see have a lot of back-to-back bad seasons. I think especially Patterson has not really had two seasons like this or like he had last year. So, like, for him to repeat last year, their big thing last year was they were probably one of the most injured teams in college football. Um, that hurt them. But they're yeah they they're always going to scheme, scheme you well defensively. I think they were
1: down to the – I'm not kidding. I think they were at their eighth string safety by season's end for TCU. It was, it was insane the amount of attrition they had a season ago.
0: And then rounding these out, it, it's still kind of that – now this is, kind of does for sure put it into those four tiers that we joked about. But Texas Tech over under six wins, that's kind of – I think I, – I, I do think they're a bull team, so I think that's probably a good number for them. Kansas State and West Virginia are both at five and a half, and so you have to pick are they a bull team or are they not, and then Kansas is at three, and, like, that's that fourth tier. Like, they seem to be clearly down yeah. there. I'd almost pick Kansas over. I think maybe they can find a way to win, like, four games.
1: I would have to look at Kansas. I know they have two wins on their schedule, based on just like the quality, the FCS opponent they have, and the quality of uh, non-conference. But like West Virginia is an easy under for me. I do not think West Virginia is going to win more than I think West Virginia is like a three-win team this season. Uh, Kansas State, I would, I think they could make a bowl, but I would probably lean under as well. Let me let me uh, take a gander at Kansas' schedule. real quick. Yeah, while
0: you're looking that up quick, yeah, uh, Kansas State's kind of scary for Iowa State from the fact of that's their season finale. It's become kind of a little bit of a rivalry between the two fan bases. Um, Kansas State's been one-sided in recent years, but um, that's going to be the season finale. And if, if Iowa State has to go there um, to Manhattan for the last game of the year and Kansas State's sitting at five wins, trying to play for bowl eligibility, it's just, that's, that's kind of the thing that makes fans like, oh, uh, like they, they really don't like that. And so that's, that's what's interesting for those two schools is if they're getting to the end of their season playing for that bowl game in the final weeks, That's what always makes the race interesting as well.
1: Yeah, I used to cover Texas, and uh, I know how anxious fans get going into Manhattan. That place is... Especially with Bill Snyder, and so we'll see if
0: Chris Kleiman can continue on the magic. I'm sure the
1: purple wizard will find his way out to the field and mess up stuff. But uh, looking at Kansas' schedule, I think their win total, uh, the over-under of three, is almost completely dependent on how they handle West Virginia at home in week four. They should beat indiana state and coastal carolina coastal carolina is one of the worst fcs teams in the con- or fbs teams in the country indiana state is an fcs school they're going to lose to boston college on the road if they can't beat west virginia i would go under but if they do beat west virginia i think they've got a chance to get over because they can potentially upset texas tech at home on homecoming but I, I i still lean towards under with kansas and les miles first year
0: yeah these are all for fun so i won't come back and like after the season and say hey what's we'll have be-. so
1: many iowa state fans in I mentioned." yeah
0: but uh, let's to round this out uh you can find it uh chris's big 12 preview way too early preview at 24 7 sports.com but your offensive player of the year sam ellinger your defensive player of the year jaquan bailey uh um, newcomer was easy i think for everybody Jalen hurts uh but uh i guess to round this out any do you have any kind of overall th- thoughts on the big 12 or it seems like it's one of the most interesting years in recent memory. I know there's kind of the two heavy favorites to be there at the end, but I think the middle is so up for grabs that it's one of the more interesting seasons I can remember just because there's four new coaches, teams have to figure out how they're going to play, and then in the middle, a few qu- things go right for a few of these teams, and they could really propel beyond expectations or at least – to the top part of the conference
1: yeah i think the conference has i don't know if it's necessarily parity is the right word for it because there are two clear favorites just a floor a talent floor baseline kind of determines those favorites just like the other programs in the league do not have the talent to kind of match up with those teams when they're rolling but i actually my observation about the big 12 is something that i've long thought i think the quality of coaching in this league is arguably better than any other league in the country because I could make a legitimate argument that Wes Miles, a national champion, is probably, like at least coming into the season, the worst coach in the league.
0: There's three coaches that have been asked to or have interviewed for NFL jobs. jobs.
1: And then you've got a guy like Tom Herman, who is one of the most gifted young coaches in the country. You've got a multiple-time national champion coming from the FCS level, Chris Kleinman. And I don't, I don't care. Uh, I don't care where you win, if you win five national championships, I believe no, he's won four of the last five. If you win that many national championships, you know what you're doing. And then like Matt Wells has a history of producing wins at places where you don't usually and Mike Gundy and Gary Patterson are in my opinion two of the probably ten best coaches in college football, maybe top fifteen. But like yeah, the just the quality of coaching in this league elevates it to a point where I think other leagues don't necessarily have that kind of depth, and it just gives the Big 12 so much interest with their round-robin schedule from week to week. It's it's my favorite league to watch every year, and uh, I think it's definitely a one-two race at the top, but I think anybody could update anybody from that middle tier can upset with those top two teams when they play this year, and it's going to be a lot of fun.
0: Yeah, I think it's going to be a lot of competitive games. I don't know what the number of Bob Bowlesby threw out, but the one-score games I think is going to be up there this year just because, you, like you said, it's going to be like a chess match with so many good coaches, and then you have so many teams kind of jam-packed that... A lot of these games could come down late. And whether or not Iowa State, say, wins eight, nine games, three or four of those might be one-score games. And if they come out of the, the better half of – or a better side of most of those, then they could be that team. But if if you lose some one-score games, as Iowa State fans saw, you know, those last years of Rhodes where they're losing like five, six one-score games – that's when your season is not meeting expectations, but it, it makes this league really interesting. So, uh, thanks for joining me here at AT and T Stadium, and uh, I'm sure we'll see plenty f- from the from you in regards to you know covering the Big 12 uh, this season. Yeah, thanks for having me on, man. I Enjoyed it. That's going to do it here on the Cyclone Scoop from AT and T Stadium in Arlington, Texas. Here at Big 12 Media Days, that was Chris Hummer, twenty four seven Sports national football writer for college um thanks to him for taking some time i am going to be back here from arlington texas uh, before i head home i'll have another episode breaking down iowa state's day at big 12 media days i'm talking to you here on the first day of big 12 media days uh, which was bob bullsby and um five teams from the league but iowa state is set to go on tuesday with matt campbell taking the podium we'll get a first depth chart from Iowa State and so there'll be plenty to talk about and we'll do that on the next episode of the Cyclone Scoop but thanks for joining me on this one and uh, I'll talk to you next time